It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome, everyone, back to another edition of Reliving the War. This is the podcast we go through the Monday Night Wars. This is a monumental one for WCW because it is a new era. And Simon, if it hasn't been smacked in your face about 68 billion times, new era. It's all new. Everything's new. Powers that be. Did we mention it's new? <laughs> it is a new era. Things are a little bit different. And uh, you know what? I will say, um, not as disorganized of a show as I thought it would have been for the first one for the Russo era. I actually thought the same thing too. Like there was a little bit more structure to some stuff. Let's get straight into it actually, because we started with a video package and it kind of has that sort of, I don't want to put every comparison to WWE, but this one felt a little bit more structured. Like you saw that Goldberg versus um, Goldberg and Sting is the highlighted sort of feud here. Um, sorry, not Goldberg and Sting. Um, you Goldberg saw that and Red, Sid. Yeah, Goldberg and Sid is the first sort of highlighted feud. Red and Yellow Hogan and Heel Sting seems to be the only thing that carries over from the last paper in the who can you trust? Can you trust Sting kind of thing? Um, and then we get straight into it. Like it doesn't go through the entire full card of stuff, which is great. And the giant pumpkin is back, and that is what we love to see as part of Halloween Havoc. And we start off once again going straight to the announcers, and they mention off the top that Rey Mysterio is injured and that the powers that be have stripped him and Conan off the tag titles and set up the street fight for the titles later on in the pay-per-view, and Tony runs for the card. And i got to say, the intro still drags on a bit, but it's a bit more prompt. It was quicker than normal. Uh, It was also at ringside. They've moved the announcers down to the ring, like in the WWE. They're not in their Mm -hmm. uh, WCW position near the entrance. And also, no Tanae. It's a two-man commentary team. It's just Bobby Heenan and Tony Schiavone. Mike Tanae is now on uh, uh, interview duties backstage. And there is no sighting of Mean Gene. Is he done now? I don't know. I, I honestly can't remember because we, the thing we is, didn't just, even get a hotline plug on the show because I, I was a regular viewer of Nitro back then and the pay-per-views I didn't really get a hold of because I didn't get Foxtel till mid 2000 before the Sydney Olympics, <laughs> which is a great thing to date us. But um, yeah, so I, I don't know. And the, the next I remember seeing of Mean Gene in pro wrestling is wrestlemania x7 and i don't think that he was gone for that long surely he couldn't have been out of out of business for that long could he for two years almost he could he yeah. could have i don't know yeah he could yeah he could have taken a hiatus and not be a part of actually you know because 
Yeah, there was a there was a, during two thousand WCW. There was a female uh, a female backstage interviewer. I think her name was like Pamela Polshock or something like that. Yeah, um, uh, she was blonde. I'm I'm confusing I'm confusing her with like almost every other blonde female that they get <laughs> to do backstage interviews. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Mean Gene isn't a part of WCW in 2000 because Hulk Hogan's not really a part of WCW in 2000. Same with Macho Man. It's a big turnover. Okay. Uh, I, I, I did do some research. It says here, uh, Gene Oakland wrestled twice in WCW. The first was mid-2000. So yeah. that means we're going to see Mean Gene wrestling next right. year. I could see that, actually. Think about it like, in one of those weird him versus like Oklahoma or something kind of matches. Maybe. It's a bit like that. And actually you were right. The female announcer, uh, Pamela Polshock, uh, it says he, he wins his second match with the help of Pamela Polshock. There you so go. He, uh, he was with the company until March, 2001 when the company was purchased. I didn't realize he played such a big role. He seems to be playing more of a role in 2000 WCW than Hulk Hogan is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, uh, so Pamela Polshock, she is on Instagram. I'm just going to have a quick look. Yep. What on earth happened to her? Um, you know what's great? Her profile yeah. picture is a picture of her from Nitro. You're uh, kidding. That is That's fantastic. Whereas all of her photos, though, have nothing to do with wrestling. Oh, no, actually, if you scroll down, there's a couple of pictures with Ric Flair. That um, is sensational. Yeah. I love, I love that every bit. Pamela Bullshock. This is this is intense listening, by the way. Pamela Pamela Bullshock. Like, what, what what does she do? Oh, you're right. It is. Yeah. That's fantastic. That I, is so good. Oh, there's a there's one of her and Chuck Palumbo. Chuck Palumbo. Yeah. I don't know what she does now, but there you go. But this is what's brilliant. So, out of all of the wrestlers that are on there, like, if you just do a quick, like, just. Scroll twice down her page so you can get like a big, uh, like a, just a, a flavor of what her um, Instagram's like. So she still goes to WrestleCons and stuff like that. But um, there are three wrestlers that are featured in her Instagram. Those three are Kevin Nash, which you could make, yep, that's fine. It's her and Kevin Nash at uh, WrestleCon in 2019. Uh, the, the aforementioned Ric Flair ones that you mentioned as well. And Chuck Palumbo. So on her Mount Rushmore, it goes Ric Flair, Chuck Palumbo, <laughs> and Kevin Nash yeah. with one TVC. Two out of three ain't bad. There you go. Let's see. No, the last one is Mean Jean. Oh, there you go. Well, it, she's got to have Mean Jean. It comes full circle. Well done, Pamela Paulshock. How's that from Blast Down Memory Lane? Oh, I know. That's fantastic. So let's get straight into this paper because it starts off with uh, a cruiserweight match between Disco Inferno and Lash LaRue. Um, Disco's attire is mocked by the commentators. And all I could think of when this match first started was, boy, are we a far cry away from 1996. Yeah, it's really weird that these guys are even cruiserweights. I was always confused when Disco would... I thought he did that and it was like a gimmick once. You know, oh, he's losing yeah. weight, he's a cruiserweight. But no, here it's just... Disco and Lash LaRue uh, cruiserweights, even though they're bigger than a lot of the guys on the roster anyway. Um, Bobby Heenan says Disco looks like half man, half goose. And <laughs> Lash LaRue, for those who don't remember, so he has two L's in his name, Lash LaRue. 
and his sideburns were shaped like owls. That was his character. <laughs> he would point at his eyebrows and like do an owl motion. And that was the gist of it. And he was from Louisiana and he had an accent. That was I, it. I actually, my next note here is, is Tony and Bobby trying to channel J.R. and King? Because the trigger for me was them talking about Lash being from Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. I actually like their commentary, them two together, because mm. Tony Schiavone doesn't have Mike Tanay to then gang up on Bobby Heenan over everything. So it's yeah. more just kind of friendly banter. I actually think their chemistry here was way better without a third wheel ruining it. I actually agree with you there, too, because they're actually doing a good job. They go through Lash's history. Um, they again mention the bloody powers that be that and everything that's all new in wcw i actually thought this is a pretty good match to start off with yeah. and uh, they're putting on a good show there's even a blue thumb uh, a blue thunderbomb by lash larue which only got a two count i was just like geez i don't i forgot well i forgot lash larue full stop <laughs> but uh you you forget that there was actually some pretty good wrestlers in 99 wcw they just were all bland with no gimmicks yeah, Lash LaRue pulled out a lot of unique moves. Like you said, he did that cool Blue Thunder kind of powerbomb. He did the splits at one point and a spin. He did a cool, like, Northern Lights side suplex that was different. Mm -hmm. They did heaps of stuff. Disco um, was doing lots of moves himself. He did a really good pile driver at one point. The only iffy move, I guess, Lash LaRue was a bit nervous. He went for a Hurricane Rana from the top rope and basically powerbombed himself. He just landed <laughs> yes. in a powerbomb position. Um, but yeah, anyway, it was good. The crowd was even into it. The crowd were more into Disco, though. They started yeah. cheering Disco as the match went on. And i got to say, Disco Inferno has had more good matches than bad on pay-per-view that we've seen. I feel like he's a, a low-key, not MVP, but, you know, solid addition to the roster on a lot of pay-per-views over the years. Yeah, a good everyman. Uh, and I, I've put down, I've even gone as far to say this is the best disco match we've seen on pay-per-view. It's a good one. Yeah, it's uh, really, really good. Um, So uh, Last Dance gets the pin and Disco wins. Um, Post-match though, Lash LaRoe hits his finisher on Disco on the Cruiserweight Championship belt and gets a bunch of boos from the crowd. So... Thor loser. Oh, yeah. What's up with Thor that? Were we meant to like Lash LaRoe? I don't know, because like I said, Lash LaRue was such a bit player. Like he'd be in the opening match of Thunder here and there. He'd be one of those guys that would come out in a pull-apart brawl and try <laughs> and pull apart Sid and, and, you know, Rick Steiner or someone. But uh, aside from that, yeah, it was basically it. Um, we then get back to Bobby and Tony, who then throw to a recap of an earlier confrontation during the day between Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko with Perry Satin, who... And they tell Saturn they are out of the revolution. So, yeah, there you go. Oh, they tell him to stick the revolution up his ass, to be precise. <laughs> um, we've, finally, we see our first appearance of Mike Tanay as he's backstage with Harlem Heat. And this is this is something that I found very funny because Booker T is going and saying how Harlem Heat was grew up on the streets and they you know they faced adversity and you know and Mike Tanay goes. In response, mm, I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Tanay is from the streets. Oh, between this and him going to that stupid junkyard for the junkyard <laughs> invitational. 
That's Mike what Tenet's he meant. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, he's low key becoming like one of my favorite unintentionally funny characters <laughs> in WCW pay-per-views. Uh, um, did, did you did you pick up on Stevie Ray using the phrase "fruit booty" as a um? That's the only note I've got. I said yeah. today backstage with Harlem Heat, Stevie says "fruit booties." It stuck <laughs> out to me. I was like, oh, he said it. <laughs> so we get to the tag title match, which is Hugh Morris and Brian Nobbs with Jimmy Hart versus Harlem Heat versus Conan and Kidman. All three men, uh, so Hugh Morris, Brian Nobbs, and Jimmy Hart, are wearing masks as they enter the ring with a trolley full of weapons. Um, we see the crowd do the little raise the roof taunt as Harlem Heat comes out. Um, we get another Powers at B mention as we look back to Nitro to see how Conan and Ray won the tag team belts. For Conan, for the Filthy Animals entrance, Kidman has a handy cam and he's filming the crowd, much to the chagrin of Tony Schiavone. But I don't know if you noticed this too. It's actually a JVC handy cam the same ones that they used to give out on Australia's Funniest Home Video Show. You know what my note is? Kidman has a JVC camera, just like he won Funniest Home Video. <laughs> yes! Because <laughs> that's the first thing that stood out to me as well. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, the best part is... same reference. I just well, you got to say, JVC, and to, an ex- and to an extent, Funniest Home Videos, if they haven't, like, they've nailed the brief. They've done the marketing guy. Yeah. Sorted. It won. <laughs> to, to be fair, they won. Their marketing won. The fact that in 2023, <laughs> we saw a JVC video camera. We're like, oh, Funniest Home Videos. <laughs> I wanted one so bad. I wish oh. I had a video to send. The amount of times that I've wanted to to win those home entertainment packages with the crappy, like, 68-centimeter CRT. Like, oh, my God, that's fantastic. Imagine playing Sonic 3 on that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so Kidman comes out, does the same shtick that Razor Ramon does about making sure that no one touches his handicap. Yeah, yeah. The handicap and his gold chains. It's so funny. <laughs> no one touched my camcorder. Yeah, if anything happens to my camera, something's going to happen to you, yeah. Chico. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually pretty... Be- it's bedlam to start off. There's brawling outside the ring. Booker T takes Brian Nobbs into the crowd. It's just... It's kind of hard to sort of recap what's going on because it just starts off with everyone going left, right, and center. Yeah, and what's a shame, though, the match starts pretty good. Like, in the first couple of minutes, they're doing a lot of unique um, spots. And I was thinking, oh, this is pretty cool. There's something going here. We might see some good stuff. But at one point, and when I say one point, like two minutes in, Harlem Hmm. Heat take Brian Nobbs backstage. We see them brawling a little bit. There's an accidental kick from, like, Booker to Stevie. Then they cut back to the ring for a minute. Then they cut back to the backstage. And we see one of Harlem Heat hit Brian Nobbs with like a styrofoam mummy. And the commentators start laughing about it. They're like, oh my God, he hit him with a mummy. And then they just pin Brian Nobbs and win. The match ends in five minutes. It's a three-way tag match and it's over in five minutes. They try panning back to the ring and we see Kidman get a pin and the referee's like, no, no, it doesn't count. We had a pin backstage. Sorry, guys, wrap it up. It's over in five minutes. Yeah, there is there is two referees to point out as well, too, which is why the other pin gets counted as well. Uh, it's also really it's it's so 
kind of ridiculous. Even you talk about the styrofoam mummy as well. There's a bit where uh, Booker T um, gives accidentally gives Stevie Ray an axe kick into a mm. stack of just hollowed out empty cardboard boxes that are just stacked coincidentally where Stevie Ray's standing. It's just quite amusing. Yeah, yeah, like he's a stuntman in a Jackie Chan movie. He just fell through the stack of boxes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing about this match too, that ending is something you would do in a video game. You're like, oh, well, there's a fight in the ring. I'll just throw my opponent out of the ring and pin mm. him there where no one can break it up. So points to Harlem Heat for the logic, I guess. Two guys yeah. took one guy backstage double teamed him and beat him in five minutes i guess yeah. it it makes sense why wouldn't you do that so billy kidman and harlem heat start arguing over who the champion is but harlem heat are declared champions for the 10th time because dave penzer announced on the po they got the first pin which makes sense that's exactly what happened yeah <clears throat> um post-match conan looks like he's got a shoulder injury trainers are out to look at him as bobby the brain Heenan says you know what they do to horses mm-hmm uh, Ray Mysterio and Tori Wilson are at the entrance as we see a replay of Harlem Heat getting the pin, um, which then segues into Ric Flair and David Flair entering the building. Ric Flair has a crowbar. Then Diamond Dallas Page comes out and he's not on Tony Schiavone's rundown as DDP and Kimberly make their way out. I should point out too that we, me and you, someone are watching different streams. So I'm watching a like a rip of the 1999 paper as it aired. You watched it on binge. So to hear the proper self high five and everything like that, DDP still hella over here, but he's acting like such a chump and a jabron. Oh, does he get a good pop with his yeah. real music? Okay, because yeah, yeah, we get the shitty dubbed version on binge. Mm. Um, I'm so jealous. I hate his dub music so much. Yeah, it's awful. And South High Five is so good. It's a shame. Mm. So DDP, he comes out with Kimberly, and Kimberly mentions that Flair has smacked her 14 times on her ass in what has to be a very, very cold MGM Grand. I don't know (laughs) if you noticed that too. Um, I think everyone noticed that. (laughs) DDP also clarifies that he loves Kimberly and hates Ric Flair just in case he was going to confuse the two at some point in time. <laughs> yeah. Um, Paige has a leather strap as well, and he starts cutting the promo saying, you know, you spanked Kimberly 14 times, but I'm going to spank you with this strap. So this match wasn't announced before the pay-per-view. I don't think so. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like yeah. that this was all set up <clears throat> on the show. Um, they set up a strap match for later that night. And DDP says they can whack it and jack it all night long. Uh, I don't know what they plan on doing. And then he even says, because it's DDP and it's the 90s and it's a few years too late of a reference, but DDP is going to use it anyway. He's like, Ric Flair, you want to know the truth? You can't handle the truth. Oh, my God. (laughs) And and the best part, too, is kind of gets a pop, too. As as um, DDP is cutting this promo, he's trying to menacingly take the belt, his belt off. Yeah, but he really, really struggles. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Kudos to Bobby the Brain Heenan. He's in full shill mode here, though. Oh, he's trying to make it sound like the most dangerous match ever, and this is going to be, you know, a barn burner and whatever else. He tries. Mm. Uh, so Bill Goldberg is backstage. He's entered the arena and he wants to know where Sid is. 
that's basically the extent of it. But uh, Mike Tanay is backstage with Eddie Guerrero, and he tells him that the filthy animals are barred from ringside as the revolution, uh, as well as the revolution is uh, in his match with Perry Satin. Billy Kidman whines that they'll be watching his back, and then Tanay accuses Eddie of stealing the Rolex of Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's basically is that it when in a they, nutshell. Is that when yeah. they buried him in the desert? We're leading to that. We're leading to Oh, that hasn't happened yet. Okay, so they've <laughs> stolen his Rolex, but they haven't buried him yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because Monday, this Monday on Raw, that was when he was in the hotel. Uh, sorry, this Monday on Nitro just passed. That's where he was in the hotel room with Kimberly. Ah, uh, okay, the, of course. 14 spankings. Of course. So... Uh, Perry Satin uh, versus Eddie Guerrero. As I said, I'm watching a down the downloaded version of the paper, so I've got the proper music and the Revolution's tune slaps. It's still tremendous. Um, Eddie loving his Rolex as he comes out while Brain compliments him. He also does the Razor Ramon stick mm-hmm. and tells Brain to look after the watch. Um, Eddie gets Perry Satin to the outside, gets a steel steps out, but Satin reverses it, then rolls him back into the ring. Satin still great in the ring like he pulls out all the stops does a power bomb into a pinning combination does cross bodies of the second rope goes into some like joint manipulation and stuff like that and <clears throat> all i could all i could think of here too is bobby and tony are still trying to do a little bit of that king and jr banter like talking about bobby pawning the rolex and stuff like that and getting christmas presents like it it kind of took away from the match a little bit for me at least i don't know well, about you the match was pretty good. I thought this was good. It's Eddie and Saturn, and they're both, you know, uh, in good shape here and in good condition. There's no issues at the moment. They have good chemistry, obviously. They do a lot of good moves. The crowd's pretty into it. I thought mm-hmm. Bobby and Tony doing the watch stuff made sense. At least it was because of a guy in the match, and, you know, the whole yeah. Eddie Guerrero was the one who stole it. It wasn't too bad. I thought they had... um some good chemistry here. I honestly didn't mind it. Again, I think not having Tanay there and having it just be Tony and Bobby, I think their chemistry was good. I mean, yeah. it's not Bobby and Vince, you know, or whatever. Tony Schiavone is like just, you know, he's not that kind hmm. of character. But I thought, yeah, him and Bobby were actually pretty fun, you know, doing their shtick about the, the watch and whatever. Yeah, and Saturn is still... He's still a fantastic wrestler here. He does these targets um, Eddie's leg during the match. Eddie attempts a frog spell ash, but misses. Eddie also does an awesome move where he drop kicks Satin, who does a springboard off the second rope. And there's also an awesome sequence where Satin attempts a top rope crucifix powerbomb. Eddie reverses out of it and hits Satin with a superplex. Mm. And then Ric Flair comes out in his suit. Uh, he's wearing a suit and tie. He's got the crowbar and takes out Eddie Guerrero to cause the disqualification. Yeah, we Ric Flair comes out all crazy. <clears throat> he's got the crowbar, beats up uh, Eddie. He then beats up Kidman, who comes out. And mm-hmm. then Tori Wilson comes out, who is the girlfriend of Kidman at the time. He then dances at Tori, as you would mm-hmm. imagine Ric Flair dancing aggressively at a woman does. He then kisses her. And then they show Tori Wilson smiling like she's in a trance. She can't, she's like so happy that Ric Flair kissed her. Mm. Uh, and then the funny part, Ric Flair goes backstage and he's walking back down the aisle, wooing at people or whatever. And then 10 seconds later, I think someone reminded Rick 
hey, can you go back out there? You were meant to get your watch. Get your that Rolex. was the whole point of you going out there to get your Rolex. And he just goes up to Bobby and gets his Rolex back. And they showed the replay of Tori a few times. And the commentators are like, oh, look, look, she liked it. They kept saying she has dimples and she didn't have dimples before. Like yeah. her dimples were created by Ric Flair kissing. By Ric Flair. Is that some yeah. sort of old-timey American expression? I'm going to assume it is some down south thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because all I can say is that 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 behavior kind of that you can't do that in 2023. You oh. ain't seeing you're not seeing Ric Flair <laughs> doing that to like I don't know Sky Blue in uh in, in full gear. <laughs> he might. Come on, Sky Blue. He'll kiss you and you'll have dimples for the first time. You'll have time. dimples, yeah. I'm going to give you dimples, yeah. <laughs> so we go to a backstage beatdown as the cameras head to the back and Goldberg is beating the crap out of Sid. Doug Dillinger and WCW security break it up and a bloody Sid taunts Goldberg saying, Is that all you got? Oh, and... I love this. Just Sid screaming at the top of his lungs bleeding. Is that all you got? Is that all you got? Very dramatic. Good acting from Sid. Mm. Um, we're back to the commentary, commentary team. As Tony Schiavone's wondering why Buff Bagwell's music's playing. Buff is out and he's got a promo on the powers that be. Names them as the two new writers from up north that are here to save WCW. Ugh. And he calls out Jeff Jarrett for smashing him in the head with a guitar. Jarrett is out with the guitar and he and Buff brawl to the outside in their street clothes. Bit of back and forth, and they get back in the ring, and Buff gives him the 10-count punch, but Jarrett gets the upper hand. Lex Luger then comes out and absolutely botches this guitar shot on Buff Bagwell. The guitar doesn't break because he doesn't quite get it with the guitar bit, sort of the, the handle. And then, for no reason, just he hits the ring post and it disintegrates like yeah, oh, the guitar smashes <laughs> into a million pieces he could have just hit buff on the head again and mm. make it break but instead he was frustrated he smashes it in the corner and yells out the f word come on lex <laughs> just hit the guy again very funny very funny that yeah he couldn't hit him but he could smash it on the turnbuckle the thing i don't get as well um, when did Jeff Jarrett jump to WCW? Because we saw him on the last WWE show, but he's got one more WWE pay-per-view to go. We're just watching it out of order, I think. He does. I think this one, this pay-per-view came a week after. Um, so the, the, when was it? So No Mercy no 99. Mercy. No Mercy 99 is the WWE pay-per-view that was in, uh, what was the date? October. October. That was in October uh, on the 17th. Halloween Havoc, I think, was literally a week later. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, Halloween Havoc was on the 24th. And I'm guessing the reason that this one was after, as opposed to where it normally is, it's because the they always try to get Halloween Havoc at least kind of close to Halloween. Oh, true. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So that's why the timelines are slightly out of whack. So we look forward to covering Jeff Jarrett's final match in the <laughs> WWE in our next episode of Reliving the War. But um, we see Mike tonight trying to cover what's going on with Sid, but Sid wants no part of the medics. He tells Tanae to bugger off along with the trainer and says, let him bleed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he had, um, is that all you got? And now it's let it bleed. And he's just screaming. I kind of like this new version of Sid. 
Because in the WWE, it was a lot of, uh, you know, he'd do the whisper, <laughs> then the scream, then the whisper. Oh, now he's only screaming. Now he's just screaming, which is that. Uh, it seems to work for him too. Uh, Eddie Guerrero is on the phone calling Grand Mysterio to tell him come back for filthy animal business. Yeah, I, I feel like they started rolling and Eddie was like, yeah, yeah, I got it. So I call Ray and tell him we've got filthy animal business. And maybe a director was like, you might want more to say. This is going to go for longer than you think. He's like, no, no, I got it. It's fine. After about 10 seconds, he was like, yeah, Ray, come back. It's filthy animal business. Yeah, we got filthy animal business. Can you come back? Oh, you got to come back. Uh, Filthy animal. He just repeated Ray, I told you. It's filthy (laughs) animal business. He just, yeah. and, And it just felt so much longer than it was. Uh, so next up is Brad Armstrong versus Berlin and the Wall, and all I can say is Brad Armstrong's dressed like he's just about to like you know run to run to check the letterbox or something like that. Yeah, he's he, in a USA gray hoodie, not even a hoodie, just a jumper. Berlin, on the other hand, is out to absolute indifference. Uh, Brad Armstrong is kayfabe wise, he's the opponent because Berlin, and I quote. Hates American wrestlers. That's the entire premise of this match. And no one's more American than Brad Armstrong because his <laughs> jumper had an American flag on it. When he walked out, I was like, oh, he's probably fighting Berlin because why is he wearing an American <laughs> jumper that he got from a souvenir stop shop? You know, that's what you get from an airport that you just came from overseas. You yep. know, a USA jumper. He bought that, put it on so he could lose. But then the weird thing about this match is is that Brad Armstrong wins. Why yeah. did Brad Armstrong win this match? Uh, it's, it's just, yeah. Um, <laughs> what's, what's amusing is, so there's a big USA chance. Brad Armstrong gets you shit in to make Berlin look good. But Tony sort of stops commentating. To do a live read for like a credit card company? <laughs> Does he? I think I missed that. Oh, you must have missed that. They might have like edited that bit out. But um, so... Tony and Bobby doing their absolute best to sell the filthy animal story. Speculate what Eddie meant in the backstage segment. There's a reverse neckbreaker by Brad Armstrong that gets the win in this match. Then the wall comes out, takes him out, only for Berlin to get his heat back for the loss to the chorus of booze. And the wall clearly isn't called the wall yet because they're just calling him the bodyguard. The bodyguard. Oh, actually, one thing I want to mention, um, Berlin, in his ring introduction... From Berlin, Germany. Berlin. Come on, guys. <laughs> Don't make him from Berlin. His name yeah. is Berlin. Say from Munich, Germany, Berlin. Yeah. WWE well, even... would never do that with a pun name. You don't, you don't, that's too obvious. That's stupid. Yeah. 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 From Berlin, Germany, Berlin. <laughs> yeah. It was like... so dumb. Like, yeah. put one one extra step of effort into the gimmick. <laughs> oh, it's a German guy. His name's Berlin. Where's he from? Oh, he's from Berlin. Or if your geography's not even that good, just go from Germany. Yeah. Berlin. From like... Germany. Berlin. Exactly. <laughs> the fact that they announce him from Berlin. Berlin. <laughs> How dumb do you think your audience is? <laughs> So, actually, looking at some of the crowd, very, I'm going to guess. <laughs> so, we're back with Mike Tanay, and he's with Ric Flair, who still has his crowbar with him. He's calling out Kidman and talking smack. He issues a challenge to the filthy animals that if you want him, come get him. He says, bring it on. And then, pretty well, segues into talking about his strap match with DDP. 
And all I can say is what he's saying is problematic. <laughs> it doesn't matter what he's saying here. I thought the execution of the promo <laughs> and the fact that he got everything over was very impressive. If you mm. want to know how to do a promo, it doesn't matter about the content. But from <laughs> going uh, from the strat match to the filthy animals to then the stuff with Kimberly and Tori, he put together a fantastic promo. <laughs> yeah, so the content is a different story. Yeah, yeah. So our next match is Chris Benoit, who's the world TV champion, up against Rick Steiner. Tony Schiavone, in the ring introduction, says he can't get enough of Ric Flair talking about spanking. Mm. He also confirms that both Benoit and Malenko are out of the revolution during Rick Steiner's entrance. Steiner starts the match by jumping outside the ring, and he's sort of baiting Chris Benoit to come and get him, which he ends up succeeding. Steiner uh, has the upper hand, and he's actually putting out some great power moves. But Benoit turns it tired but the superplex and the commentators are really going all in about selling how, how tough Scott, uh, Rick Steiner is. Yeah. Look, I'll be honest. When this match started, I actually took a break. I turned the show off because I saw mm. Rick Steiner and I thought, <laughs> okay, I can't do this. That's enough of he's, it. Yeah. He's been one of my least favorite people on the show for months now. Um, I'll tell you what, this match might've been the best singles Rick Steiner match we've seen. He could do the power moves, like you mentioned. He was doing a lot of them because Benoit is smaller than him. But then Benoit on offense is very good. So you have this like good chemistry. They're suplexing each other. They're doing submissions. You know, Rick Steiner is obviously showing Benoit like you're not actually tough. You're just a guy who yeah. who slaps people and yeah, whatever. You trained in Canada. Rick Steiner feels like he went out of his way to sort of power overpower Benoit at a yeah. lot of points and do some real like you know wrestling or whatever but it was fun because they beat the crap out of each other every time benoit made a comeback it looked good uh at one point he does like a shoulder block like you would see john cena do but you know when yeah. john cena does it he kind of floats and kind of just oh yeah hits him chris benoit does the fastest and hardest shoulder block i've ever seen in wrestling he yeah. shot at rick steiner like a rocket and just smashed into him like that's what this match was they were just smashing into each other. But what ruined it, like a lot of WCW matches, is just low blows for no reason yeah. that don't get called by the referee. Just started happening near the end of the match. Yeah, you're right though. Like Rick Steiner seems to be on a on a real sort of godsend to be like, I can wrestle. Like, because he's pulling out like German suplexes and stuff like that, too. I've never seen him do stuff like that. Busts out the Steiner line again. Hmm. Um, he, he gets a chair from the outside. Benoit ducks it, smashes Steiner with it. He goes for a flying headbutt on the chair, but gets a chair to the face as Dean Malenko comes out. So Dean Malenko, he's out to save the day, but he smacks Benoit in the head with the chair and then revives the referee and Steiner gets the win. Perry Satin is out and it's revealed. It's all a ruse. Malenko is still in the revolution. Yeah, what an absolute shame. Ruined one of the better matches on the show. Of course, Malenko would turn on Benoit. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't all this whole revolution thing just be a swerve? Mm. Uh, yeah, very Russo is all I can say. Next up is Bret Hart backstage with Mike Tanay. He says he's wrestling hurt and will be taking on Lex Luger. And he may have cost Bret the title, but injury or not, Luger is going to be ex excellently executed. Which is hilarious because I'm pretty sure no one told Bret that Lex Luger has rebranded to the total package. I had no idea either. I was so Neither confused by this. I will say, I watched WCW at the time. 
I feel like I've got a pretty good knowledge of Lex Luger. I don't remember that he wasn't called Lex Luger anymore, that he was just the total package. Because yeah. he's been the total package forever since the 80s. Yeah. But now they don't call him Lex Luger, as in his in- entrance. I thought it was a mistake because David Penzer was like, and introducing from Florida or wherever, the total package. And then he stopped. And I thought, did he forget to say Lex Luger? But no, yeah, he didn't. Then the graphic um, came up. It said the total package. This peaks for the total package when he has a tag team with Buff Bagwell called Totally Buff. Yeah, I get that. But his name is Buff Bagwell. <laughs> Buff he wasn't Bagwell, just yeah. Buff. You Buff. Know? <laughs> Not yet, at least. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like when um when they had... Uh, geez, well, oh my God, how have I forgotten his name? The ring announcer. He's a Michael Buffer. When Michael yeah. Buffer uh, announced the uh, 2000... What is it? 2009 Royal Rumble at Madison Square Garden. That one year they got him. And in the entrances, he was like, and, you know, The Undertaker. And then it was Shawn Michaels at number two. And he forgot to say Shawn Michaels. He just said, The Heartbreak Kid. And then stopped. So that was like this. (laughs) The total package and forgot his real name. (laughs) And another thing with Penza here, this was a mistake. Or not a mistake. Mm. This was just how he does it. I never noticed that in WCW for the ring announcer, they would say Brett, the Hitman Hart on his entrance. In WWE, it was always Brett, Hitman Hart. You wouldn't actually say the the. Yeah, yeah, stop it down there. Uh, or or in some cases, Brett, the Hitman Clark, as Michael Buffer <laughs> well, once said. Too. As well. So I don't know about you, but when, when Luger comes out and does his entrance does it seem a little bit world, world bodybuilding federation to you as well it does it feels very narcissist lex luger like mm. uh they're going back to 1993 um which didn't work in wwe and it's not working here what i thought was great too lex luger was wearing uh the uh the tear away pants mm-hmm. and it's lex luger he couldn't get the guitar shot right he can't get ripping the pants off right either. He gets stuck halfway and has to awkwardly like jerk at them to get them off. <laughs> it kind of ruins the mystique of like, oh, he's the perfect man, the total package. Yeah. The good thing is, Bret Hart, I don't know what it's like in the binge stream, but at least in the uh, the view that I was watching, Bret Hart has his proper WWF ripoff theme. Oh, does he? Okay, I don't yeah. think he did on binge. Ah, uh, that's a shame. Um, but yeah, so Bret Hart limps out and he starts off like an absolute house on fire, immediately gets the upper hand as he takes Luger to the outside. There's some huge cheers for the hitman here. And he's really going through the greatest hits with um, with the total package, who's yet to get some offense in. Elizabeth goes to interfere, but Bret isn't, isn't deterred and continues to dominate on Luger. There's some cheap shots from Lex that turns the tide and finally gets Bret off his feet. Sharpshooter in the middle of the ring, but Luca pokes him in the eye and goes for a clothesline. That's an actual mm. thing that happens in 1999. Yep. And then the match kind of just ends. Mm-hmm. Lex Luca makes a comeback and just wins. Does anything it's, happen? It ends in it's I, I double a single leg the time. crab seven minutes. Yeah, oh, a single a leg si- crab, a single leg crab to the injured leg of Bret Hart, and he taps out. To give to the total package the win. That's mm. it. Yep. You're putting you're putting Lex Luger over Bret Hart in 1999 <laughs> by submission. By yeah. submission. 
yeah. in seven minutes. I yeah. I actually I thought I zoned out and missed something. I rewound the last couple of minutes to watch back because I thought, what? What was Luger's comeback? There wasn't one. Mm. He just did a few moves and won. That was literally it. It was just literally it. There wasn't even like a, that. That would be the time to do a low blow or something. Yeah, and he and he kind of screws him quickly. There wasn't a back and forth. Luger takes over, works on the leg, and wins. That's it. Mm. It's literally that simple. But uh, Goldberg's backstage in the next segment, and Mike today asked him if he's happy with his attack on Sid earlier. Goldberg points to the blood that's on the ground and says, "That's what he's paid to do." Yeah, I yeah. actually I like this Goldberg promo. Mm. It, it was, was short good. and angry and intense and better than, you know, his other ones where he's trying to be like cool and doesn't talk. I, it mm. was good. I actually think Sid and Goldberg uh, were consistently throughout the show the most entertaining thing, which, yeah. you know, tells you a lot. Uh, next up, Medusa is out in just a bikini with the WCW Nitro for Men cologne, which Bobby the Brain completely shits on saying that it smells like kitty litter. Smells like kitty litter, smells like a truck stop in, uh, you know, Arkansas or whatever, just saying it's the worst smelling thing in the world. A bit of foreshadowing, Medusa is, you know, modeling the cologne. She walks all the way down to the announce table and then she gets on the microphone, makes some innuendo and then says, well, it's all bullshit. I was told to do this by those writers, by the powers that be, and I don't want to do this. She then pours the cologne on Bobby's head and he sells it like he's been doused with acid. Mm, yeah. Brain is absolutely outraged, but Tony Schiavone, it's like the best day of his life here. <laughs> oh, he gets to see Medusa in a bikini up close and Bobby Heenan get humiliated. <laughs> Two of his favorite things. So to add a bit of context here, like this was this was the time where so WWF also had a men's cologne, Attitude for Men, and WCW also had their cologne, Nitro for Men. So if if Medusa came out with, like, say, Attitude for Men, by all means, shit on it all you want. But if you're trying to sell your own product, that's just, like saying it smells like kitty litter and you'd smell like a truck stop isn't isn't a great way yeah. to do it, Bobby. If this was WWE, what would have happened instead Sonny would have come out with the attitude cologne and King would have been crazy. But, oh my God, oh, it's Sonny with the cologne. Then she would have sprayed it on King or King would have sprayed it on himself and he mm. would have been like, oh, it smells good. Oh, sit on my lap or whatever. They wouldn't tell you how bad it smells and yep. how stupid of an idea it is to promote it. So strange, but we next up we get a fairly generic video package for Hogan versus Sting, and Hogan's entrance music plays as the camera pants to the pans to the crowd because he's sure as hell taking his time to come out to the point where literally you could probably go through every single Hulkamaniac sign there. Mm. They go through a lot of them. Uh, Tony Schiavone's apologizing to the fans because we don't know where Hulk Hogan is, and we're waiting so long for Hulk that the theme almost wraps up before he even appears. Um, for me at least, Seek and Destroy kicks in. Dave Penzer announces Sting, who comes out to a massive applause. Um, Tony Schiavone then suggests that maybe there's been some travel issues with Hogan, Ooh. and Brain says it's his ego. Uh, Hogan's music kicks off again. Dave Penzer announces him, but there's still no Hogan. Back to more signs that are pro Hulk. 
And then finally, Hulk Hogan comes out dressed like he's in Thunder in Paradise. <laughs> yeah, I, I said Hulk Hogan dressed casually, casually for Hulk Hogan. He's in a cutoff vest. <laughs> jeans and a bandana but i love for him is like yeah, yeah i'll dress like i'm just you know i'm just not ready for for being on tv but yeah he mm. looks like he's in thunder in paradise yeah so tony Schiavone wants to know why he's not in ring gear and why we had to wait for him because he's still in street clothes but it's sort of a precursor to the bass of the beach 2000 with the roles reversed here hogan comes out lays down on the mat and gets pinned by sting I hate this stuff yeah. so much. Oh, it's yeah. real. Oh, it's a shoot. Oh, I'm doing the job for you. Like, it's so annoying. Uh, the crowd is just confused. No one's into it. And then Hulk Hogan walks off. Mm. It's a it's a very confusing turn of events because we awkwardly go to a video package of Sting, of, of Sid versus Goldberg, sorry, because it's just like, uh, all right. Um fans are absolutely livid. They're booing at the last match. Tony Schiavone also seems fairly livid as well. Yeah, but he would have been told to do that. But the crowd aren't happy with it. Um, what I don't get, though, watching this back, because I forgot this happened, but when you take this into consideration and then what happens at Bash at the Beach the following year, the whole idea of like, oh, and then we were like, oh, whatever, you know, you'll just lie down. They've done this before. Even that wasn't a unique thing. Like, even the finger poke of doom is essentially this as well. Yeah. Like yeah. lying down. How many times has Hogan? So Hogan's done it three times or been yeah. involved in it three been times. Been involved in, in it three way. times. Yeah. yeah. In WCW. Hmm. Uh, so we again, we then get to the United States. I actually, I actually wondered too, like this was probably the moment where um, Russo and him soured on each other because I, I'm going to assume it was like, Oh, just, Hogan probably under the old regime was under the impression I'll get the title back at Havoc or something like that. Hmm. And uh, when that was not happening, he's like, all right, then I'll do the job for him if you want. Is that what it was? Or is that, you know, Russo was like, oh, we'll play into the idea that you don't like doing jobs and we'll make it that I forced you to do it. Like, I don't know. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense. What's the payoff? Russo versus Hogan? Yep. Like <laughs> that's your that's your Austin McMahon, I guess. Uh, I guess, except in 1999, Stone uh, with... Cold Terry Bollea. Remember when he <laughs> did that for a little bit when he dressed like this all the time? Oh, jeez. Um, so next up, it is the United States title match. Sid is taking on Goldberg. Bobby the Brain says we'll find out the fallout of the title match on Nitro tomorrow night. Sid comes out, still stained with blood in his head after his altercation with Goldberg backstage. And there is a there's a poor lady in the crowd that spills her beer when she chants for Goldberg for the cameras. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm glad the camera caught that. <laughs> um, Goldberg does his uh, trademark entrance with Las Vegas with Las Vegas's finest commentary is doing their best to paint Sid as his equal. Meanwhile, Scott Hall out of nowhere comes and attacks Goldberg from behind. Kevin Nash also joins him as well. And they both floor him. Sid capitalizes on this heads the entranceway, starts beating on Goldberg as the bell rings to start the match. Goldberg turns the tide. They remain on the outside and Sid gets his face smashed into the steel steps. Sid fights back. He's busted open though, as he rolls back in the ring. And gets a fair bit of offense in on Goldberg and even knocks him down and puts him in a camel clutch too. This is this is an extraordinary match. Oh, they beat the absolute crap out of each other. The match is fantastic for a big hoss fight, a big brawl. It's intense. 
Before we get to that, though, you mentioned the outsiders jumping Goldberg during his entrance. Yeah. So Goldberg, up to this point for two years, has been walking out with security. We always wonder <laughs> who the hell is the security for? Is it for him or is it for people he might attack? For the first time during his entrance, he gets jumped and the security <laughs> do jack shit. They literally move back 10 paces and just stand there and watch two guys beat up the guy that we assumed they were paid to protect. <laughs> the worst security guards in the world. The one time something happened and they do nothing. I couldn't believe it. Scott Hall and Nash should have at least beat up the security first to get to Goldberg. The fact hmm. that the security guards stepped back ruined the whole illusion he should have never had security again from this night for the rest of his career doug dillinger is the worst head of security ever he just stood there too or or at the very least all what what security needed to do was kind of like act like putties and just have Cole and nash just beat the crap out exactly exactly (laughs) it was so funny that the first time someone jumped security and i love that Scott Hall didn't even have to push them. If you watch it, he literally sneaks behind <laughs> Goldberg. He just weren't like he's a f- American football. He just like you know gets through the defense to get to Goldberg. It was an amazing scene. Mm. Um, so we 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 see um, Sid during the match. He's busted open like oh, a stuck crazy. pig here. Um, Goldberg continues to dish out a beating. It is really a hell of a performance from Sid. There's um Sid's uh, where was it? There's a there's a bit where Goldberg powers out of the camel clutch and puts Sid in an electric chair, which I was just like, what the <laughs> hell is going on here? Insane! From the camel clutch, he stands up with Sid on his shoulders, holds him for a couple of seconds, and yeah, electric chairs him. These guys are just going all out. Credit to Sid. Sid is the bigger man here, but because Goldberg is the monster in the face. Sid is bumping for Goldberg like he's Shawn Michaels. Like yeah. he's jumping around, he's falling over. Sid went all out to make Goldberg look like a monster. These guys had a really shockingly good brawl. It's it's incredible. Um, so it's all the match is stopped. Um, as the referee calls the bell due to too much blood loss. Rick Steiner comes out and tries to tell Sid that he's done. Goldberg's the new US champion. It's almost you could kind of see that they were going for an Austin Brett w, uh, <laughs> WrestleMania 13 moment here, but it just kind of doesn't work <laughs> that way. Don't get me wrong. Russo got to WCW, looked at the roster and said, this is my Brett and Austin, <laughs> Sid and Goldberg. <laughs> like, th- that's basically it. Like, they're doing their absolute... Sid does get over yeah. here. Like, Sid, this is the thing that sort of makes Sid... But uh, Rick Steiner helps Sid out to the back after the match. He gets to the, they get to the sort of pumpkin bit at the entrance before turning around as if he was going to go back and take on Goldberg. But Tony Schiavone calls this a defining moment in Sid's career. Yeah. Look, I don't know if it is. It's maybe an underrated one. But if you haven't seen this match, go and watch it. It is yeah. good. And this is a tricky ending to do because we've seen it before where the crowd will boo because they're like, oh, what do you mean you stop the match? This match was so good and they got got it across so well how intense and violent it was that when the referee said, no, it's a stoppage, the crowd popped because they were like, oh, yeah, well, the guy is, you know, he's trying to valiantly fight, but he can't do it anymore. Sid even sells it that good 
that like he is hurt, but he wants to continue, but he really shouldn't. Top marks all around. This match was way better than it had uh, any right to be. Absolutely. And uh, you're, you're fully spot on there um, because Sid played like Goldberg, even to an extent, I, he even gets a little bit more heelish as the match goes on. Mm, the double turn, uh, you're right. This was Brad yeah. and Austin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that, uh, that sort of uh, gear always reminds you of like um, in 2002, I think it was, um, the Sandman had his final match in XPW. Oh, wow. And the event was called Exit Sandman. <laughs> And they basically tried to do the one night stand thing, but obviously, as you can imagine, like it didn't quite have the same gravitas <laughs> because it's XBW. Yeah, that's the sort of thing that reminds me of that here, where it's just like, oh, Tony, because Tony's doing his best, but like, what an effort, an absolute effort. But you're not JR, he's not, he's not Steve Austin. Yeah. This ain't gonna work. Although, what's funny is that sadly, on pay per view, I think we've seen Sid have more good matches than the actual Bret Hart. In WCW. In WCW. Yeah, and that's right. one good match compared to zero. So, yeah, no, that is true. Um, we get uh, they're back at the commentary position. Tony and Bobby recap the match we literally just saw as we flash back to Nitro, where Kimberly Page is in a hotel room with Ric Flair. Flair is in full flair mode. His rambling gets cuts off from the Halloween Havoc logo, which is great. Why was this cut off? We didn't see what happened. This didn't show us the segment. Yeah. It was just weird. I reckon it was one of the, another one of those Eddie Guerrero things. It was like, go for like, do you, do, you, do you want a script? No, no, no. They don't need scripts. Don't worry about it, bro. They can talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Then some then the director's just gone, logo, logo, logo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, Flair's absolutely full Flair, but um, we're back to the ring. Sting's music kicks in. He comes out. He doesn't look happy. He throws the WCW title down on the ground. He goes, I did not come to Las Vegas for a night off. He wants a fight, so he offers an open challenge for his title. He'll be back later to wait in the middle of the ring for a challenger, and it could be anyone. Mm. Tell you what, you'd be shitty if you were Brad Armstrong right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know, because he won a match. If he wasn't injured, he could have answered that challenge. Yeah, yeah, you know, the one night that he decides to come back to WCW after three years mm. and wrestle on pay-per-view, and he picks Berlin. I know. So, um, Rick Flair versus DDP. It's not a regular four-corner strap match. Regular pinfalls and submissions are in effect. Flair's the first one attached to the strap. He keeps yanking it away from DDP, who's on the outside. DDP starts, but Flair quickly turns it turns it around to get the advantage and there's a pretty cool spot where the where he smacks page into the ring post by mm-hmm. pulling the strap sort of through the thing um we fight in the entranceway as well the action spills into the crowd as they make their way to the lower levels they head back towards ringside and rick flair forcibly kisses kimberly twice which pisses off ddp and gets him fired up and then then all hell breaks Luke as as rick flair busts gets busted open and starts bleeding after the attack yeah, uh, not the best match you would expect from these two. You'd think this would be better. It's a bit of a screwy match. They don't do much. Like you said, they brawl through the crowd and back down the entrance. I think not having it, uh, you know, corner touch kind of strap match takes away from it because then yeah. it ends up just being kind of like a match. It's a hardcore it's match. Not really a, yeah, it's kind of, kind of a street fight, but not really either. And not much happens. They don't really this do is- anything. 
this is basically like the the Al Snow sort of versus um Al Snow versus Big Boss Man level because it's mm. just they just brawl. That's all they do. Um, Ric Flair does get a figure four and DDP when he's in the middle of the ring kicks out at two point nine twice as he managed to get to the ropes and break the hold. Then once again. It's a low blow central. DDP headbutts Flair in the balls. Proceeds to low blow him again for good measure. Uh, diamond cutter on Flair. He's got the strap around his neck. Then mm-hmm. we get a botched three count by Charles Robinson. I think we did. I think he was just meant to count to three, but he wasn't sure. And he stopped short for a second. Then he finishes the three. DDP looked visibly very annoyed at this. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they just roll with it. And they're like, oh, was it a three? Yeah, uh, I guess it was a three. They kind of also, it's a good thing it's Charles Robinson because they sort of play into his history of, of like being little nature. Yeah. Um, DDP th- gives Charles Robinson a diamond cutter. He also then starts beating the crap out of Ric Flair and David Flair comes out with a crowbar to help, but Kimberly holds him back, gives him a low blow for good measure. The low blow count on this pay-per-view would be in double figures right now. Mm-hmm. Yep, a lot of low blows going on. Kimberly passes the crowbar to DDP and he wallops Flair in the balls, beats up David Flair and gives him two diamond cutters for good measure and a nut shot as well. Paramedics are out as Paige is still in the ring. They roll Flair onto a stretcher. Tony and Bobby are debating uh, whether or not this could be career ending for Ric Flair as he stretched it out to the back to an ambulance. But in the ambulance, it's the filthy animals. Yep. And the filthy animals attack Ric Flair. They throw him in the ambulance and they drive off. But the best part is Conan, who is in a sling, but also wearing a fancy hat. The kind of hat that like, a, a, I don't know, like someone who owns a mansion in the Southern America in like the 1920s would wear. It's the, like it's a plantation sort of, owner. Yeah, it's the sort of hat that he'd be wearing if he's welcoming people to Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty, much that. pretty much that. Which is, I don't know what's going on why Conan it's, is wearing that. It's so He looks weird. so ridiculous. But somehow he pulls it off. <laughs> he got like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, So... Sting is back again, and um, Sting says it's showtime, and we all wonder who's going to challenge him for the title. Goldberg's music hit, and he comes out to fight without the US title or security. He's obviously seen what's happened before and <laughs> said to him, no, you're done for the yeah, night, fellas. Yeah, he didn't really help, guys. Um, Charles Robinson is also back to referee this, and Goldberg gets the advantage early. Sting gets the upper hand once the action heads to the outside, and we even see a rare move off the top rope from Sting. Sting gets another bloody mule kick. Mm-hmm. Um, he he dodges a spear, delivers three Stinger splashes, but then during an Irish whip, Goldberg Goldberg meets Sting in the middle with a spear, sets him up for a jackhammer, gets the pin and the win. And Tony Schiavone sums it all up, but he says, I guess he's world champion. Is he, though? Because at the start of the match, they were saying, oh, oh I don't think it's for the belt because, oh, the you know, why would WCW allow a wrestler to make a title match? This can't be sh- sanctioned. Oh, I don't think it's a title match. No, no, it's non-title. Then at the end of the match, they were like, oh, I think he's the world champ. I think Goldberg's the world champ. Who the ha- What? Yeah, just more Russo confusing crap. So a bit of argy-bargy with Sting and Charles Robinson at the end. Sting drops him with a scorpion death drop, and that ends the pay-per-view. 
Yeah, on a really boring down note. So this is where it gets even more convoluted. Because on Nitro the next night, Sting is stripped of the WCW title because he attacked a ref. Okay, not because now he I know what you're thinking. Match. I know what you're thinking. Hang on a second. Why? What about Goldberg? Well, that rain doesn't count, and it's not recognized because the match was unsanctioned. Oh, so it wasn't a title match. No. Okay. So what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Why do you even have this pay per view then? Mm, yeah. So. It's Russo-rific. That's all you could say about this paper. And what does this lead to? This leads to the vacant title tournament at Mayhem. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can't wait for that. Yeah. So to be fair, at least in in the tournament, it's kind of cool. The way they get to the tournament is very convoluted. Yeah. So let's, let's assume, let's assume, right, that the, everything went to plan and Hulk Hogan and, and uh, Sting wrestle a match. Hogan wins, mm. or Sting wins. Complete. That's a butterfly effect moment. If there ever is one. Yeah, yeah, true. There is no tournament if that happens. Yeah. So yeah, it's bizarre too. Because the other thing is, remember, what's weird when you put the other layer of context in here is, Mayhem, the pay per view was. Like it was an event to coincide with Mayhem, the video game. Mm. And the whole thing was remember, there was like a, there was like codes that WCW would give you. Did you ever play Mayhem? Yeah, I did. Yeah. What were the codes for? This rings a bell. So if you put the code in, you would get the exact match card for uh, the pay per view, which is kind of so, cool. It is kind of cool. But does this mean that w, that Vince Russo has basically positioned a vacant world title to match a video game code (laughs) i think he did i guess yeah is that how he worked backwards i think it is but then obviously then obviously things go for an absolute six it'd be great to sort of go through those wcw codes if someone like hack through them so you could see what alternate wcw match cards were meant to be yeah that's a good idea yeah but uh, it's kind of funny though that the two pay per views virtually, you know, weeks apart, No Mercy and Mayhem were both the the names of the the video yeah. games coming out. Yeah, that's actually kind of cool. Hmm. One is a lot better than the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that wraps up Halloween Havoc nineteen ninety nine. Uh, next up is a WWF episode where we look at WWF No Mercy. There's a UK pay-per-view in there as well, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how we go with that one. <laughs> okay, we'll see if we can fit it in. We are we'll a little see. bit behind. Do we bother with it? I don't know. Yeah. I Look, I, it's, I'm pretty sure there's nothing really of note there. So no, usually, we'll, There's usually a couple of hidden gems, but I don't know. Yeah, what the hell? We, we can do it. I reckon we'll sneak it in. Yeah, it'll be a bit of fun. But um, what, overall, overall thoughts, what did you think of Havoc? You know what's weird? The first few matches, I actually didn't think it was a bad show. Like, the opening match, Disco and Lash LaRue, got me in a good mood. I was like, well, this is a solid Disco, you know, proper old-school wrestling match. It was fine. The tag team match, whatever, I could let it go. You had Eddie and Saturn, which was good. Um, That was a bit of fun. Benoit and Rick Steiner was pretty good. And then Goldberg and Sid was very good. So I was willing to overlook some of the bad stuff. But then mm. Lex Luger and Brett was so dumb. Uh, Ric Flair and DDP was so boring. 
Sting and Hulk Hogan were so stupid. And then the mm. main event, whatever, fine. The action was okay for a couple of minutes, but it was pointless. So I don't know. I think the bad ended up outweighing the good. The bad really does outweigh the good a lot here too. And just the little fluff pieces, like you mentioned, even if you discount Hogan versus Sting, the crappy bits with Medusa, um, Buff Bagwell and Jeff Jarrett, oh, yeah. like it, there's just so much just turds that are str- uh, thrown in here. So, and and let's not forget too, the quote unquote main event, like it's, you should, everyone should have smelt a rat once um, you saw the world title match, like two matches before, like the end. <laughs> yeah, I know that too. Why would Sting and Hogan not be on last? That yeah. was kind of a giveaway. But I will say the MVP, I think it's an obvious one. When I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's Sid. Oh, Sid. yeah. I was thinking the that. MVP <laughs> for his acting in the two backstage segments and the match. Mm. And dare I say it too, like a good supporting cast member, Rick Steiner. It's like Bruce. <laughs> it's like Russo's WCW really is like such an odd, bizarro world, isn't it? Oh, I know. You know what? I can't wait for Scott Steiner to come back, though, because where's he been? Because I know he ends up being a big part of the mm-hmm. Russo era as world champ. Oh, he's very much like a huge part of the Russo era. But uh, that wraps up another edition of Reliving the War. Make sure you check out our entire back catalogue. You can get that at greywolfentertainment.net. Greywolf ENT on the socials is where you can find us. And uh, join us next time for WWF Rebellion UK. We'll catch you then. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.